Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and today I'm on site at Luna Living. Luna Living is a very unique recovery program. And what they call it is an ecosystem for the hijacked and addicted brain. And we're going to start off today by talking with one of the patients here, someone in recovery, Justin. So Justin, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Okay. So let's start off by telling us a little bit about your story. Let's see, I'm 21 years old. Started using drugs pretty much on a daily basis by the time I was 16, 17 years old. Went to school in South Carolina, ended up having to leave there because of drug use. And shortly after that, I decided to get sober and the drugs I was using were pretty much Xanax and opiates. Okay. Um, So I left school, I I came home, I was having a lot of withdrawal seizures from the Xanax. Um, Nothing good, just a lot of bad times. Um, Family was a mess. Uh, My dad had just recently got into recovery, so there was just a lot going on in my house. So was he also suffering from opiate? No, he no, he was just alcohol. Okay. Yeah, he was just alcohol. Um, but yeah, so I ended up. I think my dad had been sober for maybe like two years, and he ended up talk. I had a real long weekend, one weekend, bad weekend, um, and he ended up talking to me about like my drinking and what was going on, and I ended up just coming clean and telling him everything that I was doing. So for the sake of our listeners, mm-hmm. can you define? A bad weekend a little bit. What does <laughs> bad, that mean? A bad weekend. Uh, a bad weekend for me was taking a bunch of pills, as many as I could get my hands on, most of the time blacking out, um, waking up on the streets, getting in fights, waking up with cuts, bruises all over my face, not knowing what happened, getting kicked out of bars. Um, just everything that could go wrong would go wrong. There's okay. never anything positive that came from me using. So what finally turned, made you turn the corner and decide that you wanted to get some help that first time? Uh, just that I couldn't, I couldn't live my life the way I was living it anymore. Uh, I was destroying everything that I touched, you know, relationships, anyone. Just anyone close to me ended up getting hurt, and it was all because of my using. And I just couldn't. Not only bear to see other people hurting, but just see me destroying my life, which at the time I didn't know I was doing. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to figure that out. But So one of the first places that you went was one of those outward bound places, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How'd Montana. that work out? Not good. I lasted 11 days and I caught a greyhound home. Three-day three greyhound trip. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, not too fun. Yeah. They made us peel logs when we get in trouble. It was not the ideal rehab. Peel logs? Yeah. Is that like, code for take, something? No, you got to take like a log shaver, and you literally had to strip all the bark off these logs. It was crazy. Huh. Wow. So it was pretty hard work. Yeah, it was definitely hard work. But it, it the same. the best thing that came out of it that I liked was the work part because you're actually getting up and being able to do something and move, not just like sitting around and learning the whole time. So, but for you, this program didn't work. No. Can you sum up why it didn't work? Um, a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was, first off, it was a really bad group of kids. My like, I think by my sixth day in, I think already seven or eight kids had gotten kicked out. Um, and it was a lot of, I was like one of the oldest kids there. I think there was one kid that was older than me. He was 24 and there was another 21 year old kid in there. And the rest of them were like 16, 17 years old. And a lot of them were in there for really just smoking weed. So they didn't take it seriously. So I think that kind of rubbed off on me a little bit is I just didn't give a crap about any of it. So, um, so you weren't ready. Yeah, I just was I just wasn't ready to get sober. Yeah. So you I, went back home. And yeah, what so happened next? I went back home. Um, my parents wouldn't talk to me. So I ended up uh, staying in my old sponsee's house for pretty long time. Um, I think I was there for like three, three months. Um, but in between those three months I had relapsed, I was at an IOP at Lutheran hospital. Um, and the Cavs, the Cavs won the championship. So I went down to the Cavs parade when I was supposed to be an IOP relapsed at the Cavs parade, ended up in the parade. I mean, if you're going to break the rules, Uh (laughs) yeah, but it didn't end up too good. I ended up in the hospital that day. So yeah. That was a pretty big sign to me because I was still like on that border of like, do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? Like I didn't want to believe it. And I think that pretty much assured it for me. One day of drinking and I end up in the hospital. So how did you end up here? Uh, So I ended up here. I was, I had, uh, I think it was on Thanksgiving night. um, I did a bunch of fake Xanax, which it's pressed. So People, I don't really know what the chemical is, but it was the first time that I'd ever like gotten bad Xanax before. So it's like counterfeit. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? I guess yeah. I guess you can Xanax? say it's counterfeit. Yeah. It's like so people press them themselves, and right. it's like real flaky, and so you can pretty much tell. But I just took them anyway, um, and I drank a ton, and I did. Uh, I did. I think I did a couple Percocet too, but I ended up going back to my house. Um, I just, for some reason, I just, like, freaked out. Like, me and my buddies were outside smoking cigarettes, and I just started, like, tweaking out, like, for no reason at all. Like, I don't even remember what happened. I, like, started throwing shit. Um, Next thing I knew, I had, like, a knife, and I was trying to kill myself. And so they sent me to a psych ward. So I ended up in the psych ward for five days. And I still, like, the first three days, I was still lying to them. I'm like, no, like, I don't have a drug problem. I wasn't doing anything the whole time. I was withdrawing from opiates. It was awful because I was just trying to get back home and keep doing what I was doing before. Mm -hmm. So I finally, like, I remember I looked at myself in the mirror and I just looked like a total mess, like just the worst stomach pains, cramps. Like I just, I didn't sleep a lick at all. Um, I just looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I can't, like, like I got to stop. Like if I keep doing this, I'm going to, I'm going to die or I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill someone else. Um. Like, I got to stop for me. And that was the first time I actually took, like, a step in the right direction of, I guess, actually wanting to be sober. So you initiated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I told my parents, I'm like, I, I got to stop. So I ended up, I called Wendy in the psych ward. Um, 
which was a pretty funny phone call with everyone staring at me talking to some rehab lady. Uh, so I ended up, I think it was like the next day, I went home. Um, I chilled out all day, didn't use. And then I came in here, and I think, I think that was the fifth day. Because I was pretty much like, I was still having withdrawal symptoms, but they weren't as bad as they were in the beginning. So I came in here, uh, got my first IV bag. And at the first day, like as soon as I got the NAD, like I started puking. Like it was just like real bad first day. So um, we haven't had an opportunity to get into the Luna living process yes, yes. yet. And uh-huh. so we're going to get into that in just a minute with mm-hmm. Wendy. But from a, a patient's perspective, yeah. can you break that down for some of our listeners? And so, tell them, um, so an IV, what's the IV for? And so the NAD just basically like, the way it was told to me and the way that I was taught about how it works is that it's, uh, I don't even know the full name. It's like nicotinamide something, some long, some long name. Um, but it basically what it does is it just kind of gives you like a jump start with your brain of being able to get some more clarity back in your life. And it really, really, the biggest thing for me was it helped with the cravings. Because normally for me when I'm trying to get sober like the first couple weeks, like if I'm in an outpatient or an inpatient, like I'm just craving drugs nonstop. Like that's all I can think about. That's all I want to do. Uh, mostly because the withdrawals are so bad. But I came in here and I would go home at night and, you know, I'd maybe think like doing some pills or something like once. And then I'd t- tell my parents like, hey, I'm having some bad thoughts right now. And that was it. Like I'd like pretty much no cravings. It was pretty crazy. Hmm. So it didn't continue to build like no. it typically had in yeah. the past. It would yeah. be a passing thought, uh-huh. and that's that. And your parents were there to kind of yeah. reinforce. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely had a lot of help from my family members and the people around me just yeah. trying to help me stay sober because they always have my back. So that was definitely a huge thing. So you went in. You, you got the IV. Mm-hmm. You got the drip. And then do you come back every day? Yeah, so I came back. I actually... They've switched it out recently, um, but I came in 14 days straight and got an IV every day for 14 days. So that was, I mean, it was pretty tiring having to come in every day and get the IV, but I knew that it was what I needed and I felt safe here. It was a safe environment for me. I didn't, I didn't have a phone, so I couldn't talk to anyone. I couldn't go pick up drugs. I didn't have a car. So I just felt safe here. Like it was safe for me to just talk to anyone. And I also saw a therapist every day for the first 14 days. I talked to someone and that also may have been one of the biggest things just being able to openly talk to someone and just spill my guts and just tell them everything that's on my mind because there's a lot of stuff that I would hold back from telling people in prior experiences of getting sober that I think were a pretty big reason of me relapsing is hiding things and not telling the full truth so the first day I came in I just spilled my guts I told the therapist everything and from that day on it was just like I actually liked talking about how I felt um, it felt good to get things off my chest, and I didn't feel like I had to be some macho guy that kept everything deep down. Fantastic. Yeah. So how long are you here each day? Uh, in the beginning, I was there for – I was here for, like, a long time. I was here from, like, probably, like, 8 to maybe, like, 3 o'clock every day when I was getting the bags. Um, so like then, a job. Yeah. And then when I was doing the, uh, out, the outpatient program, like the IOP, I was here from – yeah, 10 to 2.30 every day. And I did that for like three and a half, four months, I think. Um, I just kept coming back because I didn't want to I didn't want to relapse. So I just kept coming back every day. Um, and 
yeah, it was just, I mean, that was awesome. Just having like a nice support group of people around me that I felt comfortable to talk with, um, that just understood me and what I was going through. And I think that was like a big reason for me wanting to come back every day and continue on the path. How long have you been sober? Uh, six months. I had six months yesterday. Congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you. So what advice would you have for someone out there who's listening to this and they're where you were a little bit better than six months ago? Um, Don't be afraid to ask for help. You're not alone. Um, I know a lot of times when you're in the midst of addiction, you feel like no one can help you and you're the only person in the world with that problem, but it's not true. You know, there's thousands of people that are going through the same thing as you every day and just don't be afraid to talk to someone and let people know what's going on in your life and just try to make the next right stop. Thanks for sharing your story, Justin. You're welcome. Thank you. Now I'm talking with Wendy Komack, who's the CEO and the founder of Luna Living. Wendy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the program. We've just heard from Justin, who's doing great in the program, and we heard it from the patient's perspective. Now tell us about the program and how it's so unique and so different from other programs out there from your perspective. We break it down into like really three quadrants. So so the first thing we're trying to do here is to rid the body of all the poisonous substances that it it currently has contained. So that's what detox is supposed to be. So we want people to be kind of toxic free. And as you heard Justin say, we use something called NAD, which is um, an acronym for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. NAD is the most important coenzyme that already exists in your body. So we're not using anything that's a stranger to your body. We're not giving you um, additional medications. Uh, We are giving your body something that it actually needs at a cellular level in order to function optimally. So that is what we use as our primary detox vehicle is the NAD. And with that, in a very short period of time, now it's five days. You heard Justin say he was here for 14. Um, We've actually changed the protocol slightly. Um, We detox people completely in five days. Any prerequisites? So could someone just have used, say, that morning and shot up and then said, you know what, I'm done with this, I need to change? And could they come in? Would they be eligible or is there something that they'd have to do first? Well, we're a full licensed medical clinic accredited by CARF and so there are requirements. So you have to have a full medical exam and a full biopsychosocial, things that are pretty normal and customary inside the detox uh, arena right now. But we want to make sure that somebody is I would say for the most part, a healthy body, but a hijacked brain. Mm -hmm. So we're an outpatient facility, obviously. So if you need a higher level of care physically, you might have to go inpatient. But here people get assessed to be eligible to be in the program on an outpatient basis. Okay. So the first step is they come in the door and they get that assessment. Correct. Okay. Pretty much if they want help, come in. If they want help, they can come in. And I I will say, if I'm honest, that almost everybody uses on the way in the first day. That last? Last hurrah. Hurrah, yeah. Okay. All right. So take us from there. So those first five days, you are going through uh, a full medical detox. The advantage of NAD is uh, it reduces detox symptoms pretty significantly. As a result of that, when people feel better, they just do better. And you heard Justin mention that he just didn't have cravings. Hmm. And if he did have a craving at night, he had the clarity of mind to be able to tell his family, I've got a little craving, 
Let's talk about it and was able to work through it. So one of the things that's unique to our program is we're outpatient. People always say to me, like, why would people come back every day? But they come back, actually, because they feel well and they make it through the night and they they will leverage their own well-being to make the trip in the next day then. And you also combine it. Not only do you have the NAD, the detox going, and they get that daily for, it used to be 14 days when they start up, and now it's down to five days. Correct. Okay. But you also combine that with counseling. Absolutely. I would never want anybody to think that you could just have an intravenous of NAD and somehow it's the magical elixir of, you know, of addiction. It's not. It's a great foundation for people because with uh, minimal cravings and with clarity, people are now in a position to do the therapeutic work that's still mandatory. So if anybody was to say, oh, just go get this NAD and, you know, you won't have cravings and it's all going to be great. That would be really a misrepresentation. Here we are, um, we are doing an extensive amount of therapeutic work, and I would argue it's every bit as important as the NED component. And in fact, the two of them work synergistically. People feel well physically; they've got their hijacked brain back because of the NED, and then armed with that, they get to do all the work that they still need to complete. So, is everybody the same as far as their program is concerned that comes in the door, or is it kind of customized? Well, I would say that um, our programming here is very experiential. Um, We have the only licensed psychodrama therapist in the state of Ohio working with us. And so um, she uh, creates all of our therapy, which tends to be very movement-based. And because people feel well, again, they're up and doing things. So you won't see them sitting around very often. Um, Interestingly enough, you would think that based on the very wide demographic that we have coming into Luna Living, that we would need some personalized programming. But that's not what happens. Um, They all sort of bond together in this uh, place of feeling well and move through their programming as a collective group. Hmm. Psychodrama. Let's go down (laughs) a level on that and describe what that really is. So again, everything we do at Luna is really about the brain. And, um, and resourcing the body and the brain and the psychodrama is, is very much a part of that. Interestingly enough, um, you can imagine that conflict's a big issue for most addicts, right? Um, at home, you heard Justin say that everything was a mess at his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and the psychodrama allows them to play things out and play different role, roles. So the pro- protagonists, the antagonists, they dress up, they wear hats, scarves. So it gives them a chance to... Um, to act out and get rid of some of their energy. And, and you heard him say this is a safe space, allowing them to play out things in a safe space conflict and conflict resolution. Hmm. Then they take those newfound skills home with them, hmm. which is why we're always so fascinated when the family system is um, in pretty bad shape quite often at the time that we see people initially. And then we're always surprised when a young adult will say they're going to go to work with their with their father, for example, four months later. Your program has improved them and all their relationships. Um, so on average, how long does the program go for? Um, the program is actually four weeks long. So you have uh, five days of detox. And during the detox period, people are here from 7.30 to 4.30 every day. Um, most people, as a general rule of thumb, feel well enough during detox to be able to attend programming. So they are um, right out of the gates in programming. 
And then uh, once they're done with their detox for the remaining three weeks, they're programming from, from 10 to 2.30 every day. Okay. And um, after that four weeks then, what's next? Well, depending on the patient, um, young adults might come back for more IOP. They'll continue with us until they, they themselves will green light whether or not they're comfortable enough with their sobriety, level of sobriety. Um, Justin's sober now just six months. He was with us, though, for three straight months um, because he felt like this was a safe space for him to come back, and that was a way for him to maintain until he got to a place where he was comfortable not being here on a regular basis. Now he's just here one day a week with us. So in recovery, they oftentimes say, uh, recovery from opioid uh, addiction, they oftentimes say that there's a pink cloud that stays over your brain. Um, you can detox, but then you have this pink cloud that will exist sometimes more than two years after you, you know, found sobriety. And well into that, a year and a half or more into that, you can wake up one morning and it can be just like you used the day before. Your cravings can be that strong. So speak to that in terms of your technology and how that may or may not address that? Well, when people are finished with the four-week program, um, they generally are going to return to Lunar Living every four to six weeks to get a half-day booster of the NAD treatment. Um, really, the reason for that is we are trying to address what would be any post-acute withdrawal that might um, come down the road. And the other thing that happens while people are with us in four weeks is they start to pay attention to the physical symptoms, what, what's getting better, so that they sort of have their own check engine light and might know that they need to come back for a booster then. So if, I'll just use myself as an example. So um, my vision changes when I have the NAD treatment. It's actually improved. Hmm. And um, so if I don't have a booster for a couple months, I'll notice my vision will be off slightly. And that's enough of an indicator to me that I should be, I should be getting another booster. So if, you wanna, if we want to keep people out of the post-acute withdrawal space, mm -hmm. then it's our recommendation that they're coming back some cadence of time to have a booster. Okay. Now let's talk about uh, success and statistics, if we could. Sure. So the success rate, I think, of traditional programs is somewhere in the neighborhood of, call it, 10%. A little lower than that, you think? Well... What would you say? Traditional programs. Yeah, I think it's somewhere between 3 to 10%. Um, you know, addiction's an interesting space because there is no standardized measurement of success. So yeah. then treatment centers can measure success however they want. However they really want to yeah. measure it. We so. experienced that with my son. Yeah. Right. So um, at Luna Living, we measure success on sustained sobriety um, as our is our primary indicator of success. Our secondary indicator of success would be um, somebody who had a lapse stepped out, used for one to three days, called us back, and got back on track. And we measure them separately. So I will just tell you um, our phase two group, study group that went through, started November 1st, and that group ended January 30th. And um, we have a 69% sustained sobriety rate out of that group. So um, was that three months? Well, Three-month period that you're talking about there? Well, no, that group, and uh, Justin's in that group. So that group is sober anywhere now from seven months to uh, to 90 days. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Got minimum, it. because the last participant 
came at the end of January. Okay, so nine, so three month, three to seven months. Right. Okay, great. And so that was sixty nine percent. Correct, and um, of the population. Right, another six percent of that population had a lapse, had one to three lapses, mm-hmm. and returned. It is worth noting um, that. With the exception of one individual, all the lapses were for people coming off of Suboxone. Hmm. So um, Suboxone is much more difficult to to come off of. Um, it takes hold of your brain in a different way than heroin, for example. Um, and the post-acute withdrawal is much stronger. So were they using Suboxone while they were in your program or no, prior were, to your program? Prior to my program. Got so it. they were okay. they were they were trying okay. to detox. They were detoxing off of Suboxone. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. And that's much more tricky. It's much trickier and then um, if you want to get really tricky, you try and detox off of methadone. Why is that? Any idea? Um, I think that when, um, you know, when pharmaceutical development is in play, then those drugs are made to have a different half-life in your body, and they just take hold of your brain a different way. I mean, even in our program, I'll just speak anecdotally for the most part, I mean, heroin is very difficult to detox off of, but oxy is actually worse. And then, you know, if you add fentanyl, any of those, the longer-lasting opiate you've got, the harder it becomes to get off of. Okay. So how long do people come back for that refresh? Um, Our longest patient um, has been coming back since the very beginning. So he comes back every two months now. I mean, the time between the refresh has extended out, but Mm -hmm. he still comes back. Yeah. Okay. So, But it's worth it because he's sober and feels good. And is product, you know, and is productive. I mean, as it relates to uh, the executives that we treat here, or professionals for the most part, they will often just stay two weeks, you know, one week of detox and one week of programming. But for the most part, they they are back to work then, right after that. Wow, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And and certainly your numbers are amazing. I mean, between the two groups, that's seventy five percent of the population that really has a new lease on life. Right. We are cautiously optimistic, right? I mean, we're um, moving forward with some uh, some additional trials and really look forward to a formal trial, drug trial in the future so that we can take what we are doing here and make sure it's going to be available to everybody. Outstanding. It is. Well, this has really been enlightening. I want to thank you for your time today. Any final thoughts for us, Wendy? Well, just my final thought is that, you know, for the last century, we have really believed that um, in order for someone to be successful in rehab, they have to fail first, their life has to become unmanageable, you know, that they have to hit rock bottom, and then and maybe then they would make a decision to change. And, you know, I would argue that that fail first strategy has caused a system failure in this country, costing us a trillion dollars. And while Luna, um, our results... We can be at the bottom of the cliff. We can be that ambulance, you know, and we can help, I believe, seven out of ten people get better. It would be our goal that we sort of get up on the road and get detour signs up and start to help people earlier in the process so that they don't have to fail first and they don't have to lose their families and their careers and or potentially their lives with this current epidemic that we're in um, before they can get help. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. We've been visiting today with Wendy Comack, who is the CEO and founder of Luna Living. 
an ecosystem for the hijacked, addicted brain. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.